Amen. Thank you, Joey. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Well, when you came in tonight, we had the chairs set up to kind of hint to move toward the front. So since one section got it right and the other section didn't, I'll be preaching from back here tonight. <laughs> just kidding, just kidding. We've got a good group that's coming here, so we, need, we needed all the chairs. I was hoping that we would have a good crowd, so thank you for coming. Uh, if you've got your Bible, I want you to get it because you are going to need it. And uh, there's not going to be notes for the screen. Forgive me, there will be some handouts that you can pick up on the way out. If you want some paper... I've got a stack of paper. If you want to take notes, uh, you can, and I would encourage you to. There's some paper here, and so if anybody wants any, you holler at me, and I'll, I'll bring some to you. Uh, I don't have anything to say tonight outside of what the Bible says. So uh, I'm looking around. looks like it's mainly our home folks. If you're visiting tonight and I haven't connected with you, uh, welcome and thanks for coming. So before we get into something serious, let's break the ice with... Cookies. All right? We have a young lady in our weekday program named Allie who's selling Girl Scout cookies. I know we don't have any Girl Scouts in our own uh, church, I don't think. So if you are planning on buying Girl Scout cookies, can I ask you to buy some from somebody who's in our weekday program? And I'm just going to start this around. I figured. I figured. (laughs) I figured. See, I'm out 50 bucks already and I ain't even got started preaching yet. All right. So just pass that around, and you'll be blessing her and loving on her family. And uh, we want to do that through our weekday ministry. So we're grateful for Ashley and all that she does and our teachers do uh, in that program. Um, tonight is a, uh, is a difficult uh, subject, but it's one that we need to talk about uh, because it is... Uh, It's an important one, number one. Number two, God's Word gives us some instructions. Uh, And I will tell you that even over the last month as I've been looking and looking at what a lot of people say and obviously looking at Scripture and what Scripture has to say, uh, I would think that I had an opinion and then I would see what God's Word had to say and, and I'd have to tweak my opinion a little bit to match what God's Word has to say. So this is a close issue for me. And so I want to tell you that so you know up front some of the things that I'm going to say and why I'm going to say them. You'll, you'll, you'll know why it's important to me. It's a close issue for me. When we talk about you may say, what's the issue? Uh, does God love homosexuals? We're going to answer that question tonight, and we'll talk about a lot of things along the way. And uh, I'm looking around the room. I think everybody can handle the PG-13 version, so that's what I'll probably give to you tonight. Um, And if you have young people uh, under the age of 18, and if you're a parent, you know this already, but they're getting the PG version, the PG-13, the R version, and the X version. They're already getting it. And for the most part, the church is kind of quiet on some of these issues, and we can't be quiet uh, because a generation is at stake. So this is near and dear to me for some reasons. So let me share what those reasons are and then we'll dive in. The first one is, um, uh, and one of those things that makes this issue important to me is because I have family members who struggle with this, uh, who basically has decided that this is going to be his lifestyle. Uh, He struggled with it as a child. 
Uh, I'm not a psychiatrist. I'm not trained to be a psychiatrist. Uh, being old and just having life experience, I can see why now on this side of it, some things that happened as he was a young person, why he probably chose that lifestyle. Um, when he let uh, us know, and again, I'm and so extended family when we kind of got word that he was choosing this lifestyle. Uh, huh, I'm sad to tell you, I probably didn't have the right response. Wasn't mean and wasn't cruel, but I also wasn't loving. And I'd say to us as a church tonight, uh, the absence of cruelty and the absence of pointing your finger and the absence of condemnation doesn't mean you're like Jesus. Uh, long story short, he, he met a, a, another guy. Uh, they decided to become serious there in their relationship. Uh, South Carolina was not, this has been 10, 12 years ago, South Carolina was not a friendly state for those kind of things. And so they packed up their bags and they moved to Colorado. Uh, it's hard because when you have conversations with Mike and you ask him about faith, he will say he's a Christian. Now, I know for some of us, we can't wrap our heads around that. Because it's like those two things we think are diametrically opposed to one another. How can someone who claims to be a homosexual be a Christian? I don't know if we'll answer that question tonight. We're going to talk about does God love homosexuals. So this is near and dear to me. It, it, it is, uh, our culture, folks, tries to tell us there are only two responses to people who choose that lifestyle. And those two responses are, we either affirm their lifestyle, which is a word that they use, and they use that on purpose, that we affirm their behavior and we affirm their lifestyle, or we alienate them, which is usually what the church does. Uh, you know, most of you know, before uh, Lynette and I came to Crossroads, we, we tried, and it was a great experience, and I don't regret it at all because we learned a lot. Uh, we tried to plant a church here in this area. We were meeting at the old CrossFit building. We had about 40 people or so on some Sundays. And, um, which is why, let me just real quick, which is why some of the changes that we've made around here with classrooms and moving stuff is not a big deal to me. Because for many Sundays, every single month, we would have to roll in chairs from a storage container, even if it was pouring down rain, into the CrossFit building and back after every service and set up and tear down and set up and tear down and set up. So just moving a few chairs or a wall here and there, it's not a big deal to me because that, that, was, that was several months of our life. But I remember, the point being, I remember when we started to kind of publicize what we were doing. I got a phone call from an organization here in Greenville, uh, I guess it's the LGBTQ group, and they called me, and they said, hey, we see that you're starting this new church in Five Forks. We have a question for you. And I said, okay, what is that? And they said, we just want to know, will you be affirming homosexuality? And I knew, thankfully, what they were wanting me to say. They were wanting me to say yes or no, because that's a word that they use, affirming. Um, and I had to say, I, they, they will be welcome. We will love them just like we love everybody. But I won't affirm their lifestyle of homosexuality any more than I'll affirm pornography, idolatry, 
gluttony, the long laundry list of sins that the Bible identifies that are sins. Click. So here's what I do know. And, and I want to tell you this too. We're, we're not in the remaining time that we have tonight, and I am going to try to be done at 7. We're, we're, we're going to barely scratch the surface of this issue. And if you want to know more, there are articles, there are books, there's some handouts, there's some recommendations. My main question I want to answer tonight from God's Word is, does God love homosexuals? But we kind of have to stop and kind of have a, maybe a short history lesson and see what the Bible has to say. And here's what I do know about this situation, because it's not, it's not going away. I know that as Christians, we need a balanced answer. Balance does not mean compromise. Balance does not mean lukewarm. Balanced means balanced. And here's what I mean by that. We need to share the truth, and we also need to share the grace of Jesus. The writers of the New Testament, Paul and Peter, if you read a lot of their letters, they often talk about sharing the truth in love and let your words be seasoned with salt and all those kinds of things. And so that's what we need. No, no doubt we live in an unprecedented time. I mean, sexual depravity is everywhere. Lynette and I get frustrated at night because when we occasionally want to veg out and watch TV, we'll find some new program and within about three or four or five minutes of the program that may be some action-packed adventure that has nothing to do with sexuality... All of a sudden, two people on the screen of the same gender will be kissing or they'll be talking about going out. And it's like, why do we have to get this in every show? All we want to do is watch some firefighters run into a building, burning building and save a cat. And, and the reality is, Hollywood is pushing this stuff into everything that we see. Sexual depravity has infected the world, of course, since the fall of man. But now we live in a world where... We are trying to create norms with some of the things that are totally against God's word. And here's the sad part about it. M modern man, we want our sexual depravity and we're actually willing to create a sophisticated rationale to justify it. And when I say we, I mean you and I mean me and homosexuals. You know, we looked at Bartimaeus this morning, and I, I told Heath earlier, maybe that message was just for me because I was convicted this week because uh, even as one of your pastors, uh, and you know this already, and God knows it for sure, I, I'm not perfect. The same grace that I want, I have to be willing to demonstrate to those who have chosen this kind of lifestyle. So, how do we deal with this? How, how do we be a faithful Christian in this crazy contemporary culture and be aware of what God's Word has to say and what the Bible has to say about sexuality and live according to it and not turn our back on biblical sexual ethics? It's, it's really hard. It's really hard. But let me start with a few assumptions that I want, want to make because these assumptions are very important if you're a Christ follower. So if I'm talking to someone who has chosen this lifestyle, they, are, they already may exclude a lot of what I'm going to say because of the foundations that I'm going to stand upon and the assumptions I'm going to make. And there's a couple of them. And let, me, let me give them to you. Here's the first one. Any conversation that I have, I'm starting with the belief that there's a God. He revealed himself to man. 
through the world, through his word, through Jesus, through creation, through identity. So that's my belief. So if someone wants to debate me and says, oh, I don't even believe there's a God and I'm choosing this lifestyle, I don't really have a lot to say to you then. Because you and I aren't even on the same page when it comes to worldview and belief system. Because that's an assumption for me that I make based on my faith. The second thing that I'd say is I start with the belief that this book right here, God's Word is our roadmap, it's our guide, and it's our standard. For everything that I think, for everything that I believe. And it's, and it's important because, and it's going to be important in a minute with some things I'll share with you. It's important because this book, though it is several books in one book, it is one story. And it is one story of God's redemptive love for mankind all the way from Genesis to the very end. It's not a lot of different stories. It is a lot of different stories. But the main story that's being shared through all those stories is God's redemptive love for mankind. So this is where I start. So sexuality, the purpose of sexuality and the reason God created us is different genders, sexes, male and female... Uh, is defined, my sexuality and yours is defined by God's standard. It's defined and determined by God's standard. Not by what I think, not by what culture says, not how I feel, not how I want to wake up and identify. I got a letter, and I want to read it to you because there's some things in this letter that I think will... Help us springboard to answer the question, does God love homosexuals? And it, it will also point out some things to us that will help us. So, tonight again, just, I just want to say this again, and you can, you can get the re- recording later. But you and I, just encourage you to write some of this down or record it or get out your phone. You and I need to be able to give a biblical response to this. And yes, the Bible says so is great, and that's true, and that's, that's a response. But we need to explain why to people. I heard something on the way to church this morning on the radio that back in the 50s, 60s, 70s, the fear of Christianity in America was that as people got more and more educated, they would begin to doubt the truth of God's Word. That's what people thought in the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s. But it's actually been the reverse As people in the world, mainly outside of America, have gotten more educated, they've realized how flawed they are and how there must be a real God in the universe and how they must have a need for Him. And maybe there's something to the Bible. Interesting. So I got a letter. Here it is. I'm a Christian. I was raised in a Christian home. My father was a pastor. I was taught to love the Lord and serve Him. This is all I've done my whole life. My relationship with God has never been stronger, and I'm more thankful than ever for the redemption through Jesus Christ that I have. I'm also a homosexual. My journey has been difficult. I've tried time and time again to deny on my own acceptance of my sexual orientation. Which, by the way, let me just stop right there. Sexual orientation is a phrase that culture has thrown out there to try to get us as believers to not have an answer for what the Bible teaches. It's a new new word, a new spin. Try to come up with something beyond gender 
And sex is what it used to say, and it didn't mean the act of sex on your form that you'd fill out male or female. It meant gender, male or female. And now society and culture have created this orientation. Many nights I've ended with tear-stained pillows as I pleaded with God to release me from this pain. I believe God's plan, I believe it is God's plan for all of us to know love and be loved. I know His plan for me, is, this is His plan for me as well. To believe otherwise would be for me to understand that God is vengeful and has placed a very cruel trick on me. I'm just reading you the letter. This is what this person thinks. Homosexuality is not a choice, it's an orientation. It's no different than eye color or being right-handed or left-handed. My sexuality is a gift from God, and I believe He intends for me to rejoice in that by knowing the love of another in a lifetime monogamous relationship. And they're responding to something that I, I said. So this is their response. There's some dangers in referring to your view of marriage as being the biblical view. According to the Bible, marriage can only exist between people of the same faith. Not true. I'm sure you would agree no one makes an issue of this anymore as there are many, many interfaith marriages exist, perhaps even some in your own company or family. According to the Bible, you say, since I brought up the Bible, a wife must not only be subordinate, Ephesians 5.22, but when she and her husband are married, she must prove her virginity or be taken out in stone, Deuteronomy 22, 20, verses 20 and 21. According to the Bible, if a woman dies without having a son... She must marry her husband's brother and have intercourse with him until she bears a son. Mark 12, 18 through 27. Let me stop right there. Even people who don't know the Bible will use the Bible. I can make the Bible say anything I want to say if I pick and choose pieces of Scripture. So again, this book is one story from beginning to end and we have to read it that way. So, if you've got your Bible, just let's stop for a minute because I, I want to be able to, with this person and anybody else that would say and bring up these scriptures, I want to know what these scriptures are talking about. So, let's look at it. Mark chapter 12. Let's, let's see what he's saying to me. And I've already done a little bit of my homework so you don't have to watch me cipher through this. But so you can kind of follow along. Mark chapter 12. Because there will be people who will choose passages of Scripture to prove their point, not realizing that they are treating Christianity buffet-style. And before we throw rocks at them, by the way, let's just be really honest. Most of us are guilty at one time or another of doing the same thing on some issue. And we can't do that. We have to take God's, the whole counsel of God's Word. So Mark chapter 12, verse 18. This is the passage that this person is talking about. Jesus is having a conversation with the Sadducees. And how do you know they were sad? They were sad, you see. A little Bible school. That's how you knew they were sad. They were sad, you see. And they were sad because they did not believe in the power of the resurrection. That's why they were sad, you see. See, see you think Bible school and children's ministry is not important. But see, it is because uh, 45, 50 years later, I still remember that little thing. So it's important. So the Sadducees who said there's no resurrection came to him, that's Jesus, and began questioning him saying, Teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies and leaves behind a wife, leaves no child, his brother should take the wife and raise up offspring to his mother. 
There were seven brothers, and the first took a wife, and he died, leaving no offspring. And the second one took her and died, and he didn't have any offspring. And the third likewise, and all seven left no offspring. And last of all, the woman died. Verse 23, in the resurrection, when they rise again, which one's wife will she be? For all seven had her as wife. Don't you got to love Jesus? I mean, you guys should be glad I'm not Jesus. Because they're trying to trick him. If I was Jesus, I'd just go, poof, you're dead. (laughs) Don't have time for you. You're dead. But our Savior decides to, as he often did, answer a question with a question. So he says to them in verse 24, Is this not the reason you're mistaken? You don't understand the Scriptures or the power of God. For when they rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. But regarding the fact that the dead rise again, have you not read in the book of Moses? In other words, since you're bringing up Moses, let me just tell you, because I am the author of Moses, and anything Moses wrote, I actually wrote through him, through the power of the Holy Spirit, because it's Jesus, God, and the Holy Spirit, one God revealed three ways. And here you are telling me about Moses. I made Moses. I mean, that's what I would have said if I'm Jesus. Poof, be quiet, go to hell. No, I wouldn't have said that. I wouldn't have said that. So Jesus answers their question with a question. And then he says, he's not the God of the dead, verse 27, but of the living. You are greatly mistaken. It's, it's almost, it's, it's really astonishing what people can make the Bible say. Uh, to give you an, an example, this is an article from several years ago. Dental miracle reports, dental miracle reports draw criticism. This happened in Toronto, 1999. Is God miraculously transforming dental fillings into gold? Ask the senior pastor of the... Well, I won't tell you the church. It's in Toronto. He told the newspaper, God's up to something new. Regularly at their church, attendance has picked up because of miraculous testimonies. The congregation has grown because of this blessing, a revival... You guys have probably heard about this called Holy Laughter. Millions of Christians have visited. They produced this 30-minute video, Go for the Gold, in which the pastor announces to the crowd, if you want God to touch your teeth, stand up and touch your face. And their website quotes Psalm 8110, Open wide your mouth and I will fill it, and declares the excitement here is electrifying. No doubt... The psalmist's words, open wide your mouth and fill it, refers to turning fillings into gold. We know it doesn't. But case in point, a scripture used out of context. And so when you know what Jesus is saying here in this passage, you can refute this letter that I was reading to you. Because Mark chapter 12, in those verses where Jesus encounters the Sadducees, who again were Sadducees, these were men who were accustomed to making the Bible say what it did not say and making the Bible not say what it did say. And in short, they were trying to attack Jesus with this Old Testament rule about, uh, about marriage from the Levitical law. And here they are speaking to Jesus about it, which the law that they quote was true that if a man died and his wife had no child, the man's brother was to Uh, take her in as his own wife. And what's the reason for that? Sounds strange to us in 2021, but it was a radically different culture back then. 
And the reason they did that was to provide family support and uh, continued support for the widow. And there were a lot of other things that were going on. So sometimes you'll have people use passages like that and not know the context of what Jesus is encountering or what was happening in the Old Testament to say, well, if it worked there, it should work for me. Does that mean the Bible changes? No. The Bible doesn't change. But when you read the scripture, you have to know the context of what's happening, much like we did this morning when we talked about Bartimaeus. I had a Bible teacher always say this to me, Jack, context is king. K-I-N-G. Context is king. If you're reading scripture and you don't know the context of what's happening, you can pull out any verse and make it say anything you want it to say. And that's kind of what the deal is with this, this letter. So over and over again, Jesus, when he answers them, does two things. He says, you're wrong because you don't know Scripture. And then you're wrong because you have not rigorously applied it to the whole of God's Word. So when you take God's Word, especially us as young people, I'm going to be a young person for a minute. You have to look at the whole context of what God's Word says. And for a lot of us, including me, I wish I knew more of God's Word. The scary part is a lot of times the world out there knows more about God's word than we do. And that's when they can twist it, much like Satan did with Jesus in the wilderness. So we've got to know God's word. So let's, let's see what else this letter has to say. Well, he said this to me. It says, many, many men, we are going to get to the answer to the question, I promise. It says, many men of the Bible that you refer to, including Jacob, Esau, Gideon, David, and Solomon, were polygamists. Good, that's a good point. Good point. Others, such as Abraham, Caleb, and Solomon, had concubines. That's good. Good point. So what would you say to that? Well, I had to do some research. Because I'm like, that's, that's, that's a good point. That's a good point. And here's the point. Anytime you look at those stories where you had guys who had multiple wives or concubines, most of the time, life didn't turn out great. Those stories are not necessarily highlighted to say it was okay, it was permissible, God allowed it to happen, but it was not God's plan A. Say, what was God's plan A? Well, let's back up. Let's go to the beginning of the story. God's plan A is in Genesis. He tells us his plan in Genesis, his plan A. But we, man, sinned and we thwarted his plan. One male, one female. That's, the, that's marriage. So that's how I answered. I said, God intended that marriage should work this way from the beginning. Genesis chapter 2. You're correct to point out that several of the Old Testament patriarchs and kings had a number of wives. But what you failed to notice is the Bible never condones this practice. It simply describes it as part of a lifestyle of ancient Middle Eastern chieftain. And if you study those in detail, you'll discover none of them were portrayed in a positive light. So, there's more we could say about that. Again, I'm just giving, scratching the surface on some of these. This person says to me, just continuing the letter here, we cannot use the Bible as a weapon to propagate our own political or social views. Yeah, I agree. I agree with that. That's good. We've done that as Christians sometimes. Not that the Bible is not true and it's not our standard. Our, 
delivery. It's not really been great. I don't know if you have this problem. I, I do, and you guys know I'll be honest, and she'll laugh, but sometimes my face doesn't always communicate what my heart is saying. So I, my wife will oftentimes remind me when I say something, she'll just look at me and go, tone? And I know she means, oh, I need to change something. Because the way, the way I'm saying it, it's not coming across the way I mean it. We might need to, all of us might need to work on that a little bit. Because we neither do we want homosexuals to use this as a, a weapon other than the shield of faith that it's intended for us. You, you get the point. So let's keep reading. While we accept the Bible as God's written word for us, this person says, who's a homosexual Christian, while we accept the Bible as God's word for us, we also accept Jesus as his word to us. So let's talk about Jesus a moment, this person says. Jesus never said anything about homosexuality. He did, however, admonish us to love one another. Well, let's talk about that a little bit. Jesus ever say anything about homosexuality? Jesus didn't have to say anything about homosexuality. It's true he never specifically said anything about homosexuality because he never had to. Because when people asked him about male and female and about relationships and sexuality, his go-to scripture was Genesis. The story of Genesis in the beginning, which by the way, he was there. I think I've said this before. If you study the scripture in the Genesis account, the Bible says, let us make man and woman in our image. Let us. God wasn't schizophrenic, but Jesus and the Holy Spirit were there at the same time because God is one and reveals himself in three ways. So for this person and other people who choose this lifestyle to say, well, Jesus never said anything about being a homosexual. Okay, Jesus didn't, but God did. And God is Jesus and Jesus is God. So we've got to know how to answer some of these things. He wasn't, Jesus was not neutral on the topic of homosexuality. That's not true. If you look at Matthew chapter 19, if you want to write that down just for sake of time, Matthew chapter 19 and Mark chapter 10, those are two passages where Jesus talks about humanity. And he always goes back to the creation story in Genesis. And he doesn't go back to the creation story in Genesis because it's this great Sunday school lesson that we can put on a felt board, which is the way I learned it. I'm old. He goes back to the creation story in Genesis to say, everything that the Bible teaches about sexuality, the authoritative blueprint is creation account of man and woman. That's why he goes back to that passage. And that's why he lifts that up. Letter goes on to say this, I want to suggest that you might want to lay off discussing something that you know nothing about. You're not a theologian, true. Nor someone who knows what it's like to be homosexual, true. You have no idea of the loneliness that I experience, faults. I guess you only have to be homosexual to be lonely. I think everybody can be lonely. Anyway, it goes on to say you're... Comments do more harm than good to the church. This is not a message that Jesus came to bring. His message of love, forgiveness, acceptance, and grace is what we ought to be demonstrating to the world. True. True. But again, as I said from the beginning, this person, like a lot of people, 
try to make us choose to affirm or to condemn. And what we need to do and our response needs to be truth and grace. Truth and grace. So let's talk about God's standard for just a minute. And if you want to jot these down, there's three. And then, and then uh, I'm, I'm going to share with you some objections from the world. And then the last thing, if we have time, hopefully, is what does God's Word have to say about how He loves, if He does, homosexuals, and what should we as Crossroads Church be doing? So here they are real quick, the three things God's standard. Number one, the Bible says we're sexual beings. It's true, we are. God created us that way. In the very first account that we find in Genesis, God created us this way. And the Bible tells us in Genesis, He created humankind in His image. Male and female, He created them. And the very first thing that God said to do is what? Multiply. Multiply. Go have sex. Be fruitful and multiply. So the Bible says we're sexual beings. Number two, there are two sexes and genders. Two sexes or genders. Genesis 1.27, if you want to flip over to Genesis while we're there. Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. That's the very first book of the Bible after you get past the table of contents. Boom, it's right there. Genesis 1.27 says this. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. There, there is so much. Here's why this is an important issue for us as a church and for us as a Christ follower, a believer. There is so much tied up into understanding biblical sexuality that connects to all the pieces of the Bible and the whole story of the Bible. It connects to our identity. It connects to creation. It connects to, is abortion right or wrong? All this stuff that we're talking about connects to how Jesus set things up. God set things up from the very beginning at the foundation of the world. So he set them up male and female. Woman is the wife. Fashioned from man's very body to be the closest possible proximity to us physically and spiritually and psychologically and emotionally and every other way. And, and God's plan was, as for those that get married, was to be a, a picture, a symbol of his relationship with us as the church, the bride of Christ. And we messed that up. But he knew that we would, and that's why he brought Jesus into the picture. So number two, there's two sexes and genders, God's Word tells us. Number three, this is also why this is important that we talk about it. Because being married is the place for the act of multiplying sexual intercourse. That is the place that God ordained for us to have that closeness. And if you study Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews, some say Paul wrote Hebrews, nobody really knows. But if you look at Hebrews, I'll have to give you all this because we are, we are quickly running out of time. Hebrews 13, 4. And Malachi even, chapter 2. Malachi 2, if you want to write that down. A, a big, though not the only one, but a big objective for marriage is and was, from the Genesis account, the propagation of the human race for us to be fruitful and multiply and to grow and fill the earth. 
So the logic of God's sexual law seems pretty clear. God wants one man committed to one woman for one lifetime, and sex is supposed to happen in that relationship. So there's a lot of other things we could talk about, but it might make some of us, including your pastor, maybe even a little uneasy that go under this whole whole, whole umbrella of what we're talking about tonight. Tonight, we just happen to be put in the spotlight for a little bit on does God love homosexuals? And so we put the spotlight on that. So if you're not a homosexual, then you, then you may feel like, okay, great, let's look at those people. But if you have a dirty mind and you commit adultery with a woman in your mind and Jesus said that's just like going through the act, then you have basically had sex outside of marriage, which goes directly against what God's Word teaches. So are you not somewhere lumped in? Am I not somewhere lumped in with those that were maybe pointing some fingers at about being homosexual? And I would say to you, yeah. I had somebody ask me this week what we were talking on tonight, and they were like, hmm, hmm. And I reminded them that tonight the spotlight is on that issue, is on that issue. Folks, there are a lot of other issues that Jesus talked about. And some of those, he gave a lot more opinion. It wasn't opinion, but a lot more thought and statement on. So sex is for marriage. So that would go on to say then, if you follow this line of thinking... And this is where we get into the debate about homosexuality. If you follow this line of thinking and you, you see what God's sexual law is and what he said in Genesis and what he says throughout the scripture, then not only if I have extramarital sex outside of marriage is that wrong, but if I have sex outside the bounds of male and female, then that would be wrong. But it's amazing how illogical our world is. So Christian sexual ethics then would start with this premise that legitimate sex is sex between married people. Boy, we don't see a lot of that in our world. We see it about everywhere else but in that realm, don't we? And I don't have to tell you, you know these scriptures probably, but just in case, Paul talked about this a lot. He elaborated on this a lot. Two passages that you probably are familiar with. If you want to turn quickly to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Here's what he says. Verse 9. I would, I would encourage you to do, do more research than what I'm able to share with you tonight in a short amount of time. Paul says this, Do you not know the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers shall inherit the kingdom of God. Now let's stop right there. If there was a period there and a new chapter started in a new thought, we might go, ah. But the next verse, verse 11, and such were some of you, but you were washed and sanctified and justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So folks, as I read that, I have to remind myself that outside of Jesus, 
I'm in that category. I can't just point fingers and choose the pet sin of the week. And when I was growing up in the 80s, it was drinking. Now it's homosexuality. Ten years from now, it'll be some other sin that we choose to put the spotlight on. I'm not justifying that, and I'm not saying it's not important, and I'm not saying we don't need to be talking to people with truth. I'm just saying it's interesting, looking back, what we've put the spotlight on. Paul also says this in Galatians chapter 5. The works of the flesh are evident, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, contentions, this laundry list of things, murders, drunkenness, the list goes on and on. And then he says, those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So, if I'm sharing these scriptures with a homosexual friend, let's, let's go back and make it, I'll make it personal. If I'm sharing this with my cousin, here's what he, here's what he would say to me. Here's what he has said to his mom, my aunt. Yes, but we're in a same-sex monogamous relationship. We love each other. And that's why we got married. And they did in Colorado. But I would say to him, if given the opportunity, just because the state of Colorado changed the definition of marriage doesn't mean God's word changed the definition of marriage. And this is where, and we'll talk about this in a couple weeks, where you have to be really careful on one hand to to champion, and you've maybe heard me over the last few weeks a while, I've kind of tried to restrain our American patriotism, not because I don't want to be a patriot, but you have to be very careful because on the one hand, if you champion freedom, and then you work in all these other moving parts of our crazy culture, again, like my cousin who's packed up to move to Colorado to get married, then you have to go, okay, we live in America, there are freedoms. On the one hand over here, I want to be a Christian American. Shouldn't everybody have rights? You see, am I making sense? You see where I'm headed? And not, not, even, not for marriage even, but for just to have a union. I'm not for the marriage part. I'm not for the union part either. Let me give you these real quick. Here's some objections you're going to hear from the world. And some of these I've answered from the letter from my friend that I got, but I want to try to hit these really quick so we can get to the answer to our question. And, and you need to know these because these are going to be thrown at you. These are just some objections that will come up. I'll give you two or three. Here's the first one. The term homosexual didn't exist until 1892. Did you know that? God's Word, depending on what research you believe, and I did a lot of research over the last several weeks. God's Word didn't have, you know, God's Word was not written in South Carolina English. I wish it was. That'd make it much more easy for me to understand. But it was written in Greek and Hebrew. And you'll have some people tell you, and they'll be partially correct, that in the early manuscripts of the Bible... The word homosexual, and young people, you need to know this, was not in there. Bingo, you're right, it was not in there. There are a lot of words that are in our Bible now. Context is king. 
for sake of us understanding the context, they're using English words that we know because we don't know the Greek or we don't know what was happening there. So yes, the word homosexual is not in the Bible, but the, word, the words that we get, sodomy was in the Bible. And the words that we get, per, words, English words like perversion was in the Bible. And whether or not you want to get in, I wouldn't get into that debate, by the way, but if you wanted to get into a debate with somebody who wanted to try to nail you down on what year our translators finally put, and at the way, based on my research, it looks like around 1940, 1950, and talk about conspiracy theories. Get on the internet and just Google. You'll find conspiracy theories for kingdom come about, oh, the Christians snuck the word homosexual in the Bible so that they could ostracize a whole group of, I mean, it's crazy. It's illogical, but that's what our culture has done. Let's just say for a minute they're right, and that's true. Okay? Let's just play devil's advocate and say for a minute they're right, and that's true. And that this is some new word that was invented and thrown in there, and that we've been talking about, you know, that's immoral and don't do that. Regardless of when the word came to pass and got in God's word, Jesus said that the blueprint... The standard of conduct is back in Genesis. So I don't really care. I'll debate you if you want to have fun and debate all day long. As long as you buy me a donut, I'll debate you. If you want to debate that, it doesn't matter. If you go all the way back to the beginning of Genesis, it's pretty crystal clear what God said in His Word is the blueprint for man and woman in marriage. So we don't even have to have that debate. But I just want you to know, because these things have been thrown at me over the last few months. Here's another one. Some of them will say, well, there's only four passages in the Bible that actually talk about same-sex activities. Two in Leviticus, two in Romans. So since there's, since there's only four, it must be of relatively small importance. That's about the dumbest thing I've ever heard of in my life. The Bible doesn't say some things about a lot of things. There's a lot of crazy things we've invented in our world that the Jesus doesn't specifically talk about. The Bible doesn't specifically talk about. But that doesn't mean if I don't dig through the one story from beginning to end that I won't find out what Jesus has to say about it. We've talked about this before. The Bible doesn't tell me not to get in the car with somebody of the opposite sex and drive around town. The Bible doesn't say that. But if I read what the Bible says about trying to be a person of purity and beyond reproach, then that's kind of a smart idea. So be careful because they'll throw that out you. I mentioned a little while ago about the word sexual orientation. Here's something else they'll say. Sexual orientation is a new concept. It's one that the Christian tradition has not yet addressed. False. It's not a new concept. It's a new word. It's been created. But it's not a new concept. Here's another one. I wish we had time to look at this. We're not going to have time. But this one comes up a lot. The whole story of Sodom and Gomorrah. Was that really about homosexuality? No, that, or was that really about making sure who's in the room? Or was that about gang rape? What was it about? Go do the research and you'll find out what it was. It was about a lot of things. And one of the objects is this 
person gave to me was, well, it was really about them not being hospitable to the poor. Go read the story. It was about many, many things that were going on. So yes, you're true. It wasn't maybe solely about perversion of their sexuality, but there was a lot of things going on there. And in case Genesis 19, where that story is told, is not enough proof, if you look in the book of Jude, God also answers that question. All right, we got, we got to speed up. So what, what do we do here? What do we do here? Does God really love homosexuals? Here's ten things I know from God's word about homosexuals. Are you ready? If you want to jot these down, you can. Here's ten things I know. Number one, all people are simultaneously sinful and simultaneously loved. Regardless of their story, whether they're straight, gay, trans, black, white, yellow, polka dot, whatever. God loves every single person because He made them. And we're sinful because we've fallen into sin. We've been stricken with a terminal illness called sin. No exceptions. And so what studying this over the last few weeks has caused me to do, you may have kind of sensed this morning, is to re-examine my own heart and my own life. That's number one. Number two, here's something else I know. There's only one option. Both Jesus and the Scripture, if you look at the Scripture as a whole, approve of no other sexual union except between a man and a woman. It's the uncontested story of the Bible from beginning to end. So to that friend, I would say, yes, you find concubines in the Bible. Yes, you find multiple wives in the Bible. But that doesn't make that biblical. Does that make sense? There's a lot of stories in the Bible, but that doesn't mean it's biblical behavior. There's a lot of things that happen in the Bible that are in the Bible. (laughs) Some of you look at me like deer in headlights. They're in the Bible, but they're not biblical. They're not God's standard. God put those stories in, which I think is awesome. God put those stories in the Bible to show us that we're sinful people and to show us our need for a Savior. If all the stories in the Bible were rainbows and Skittles, then, hey, I'd go go buy stock in, in Skittles. They're not. Number three, male and female complete God's image on the earth. It's not just mere Southern Baptist traditionalism that we talk about Marriage and male and female has a much deeper theological issue that the creator of the universe wanted to show us in the flesh by our relationship in humanity, the picture of what would happen. God even said, again, the Genesis account, it's not good for man to be alone, Genesis chapter 2. Number four, number four, I know I'm, I'm flying by, you'll have to... Get a recording. They're $100 each. It's going to go to fund the church budget. Number four, sex is indeed about babies. There's this new kind of cultural, uh, popular idea about human sexuality uh, that it's all about intimacy and pleasure, and it is, but that we all just want to be happy and please ourselves, and whatever makes me feel good, it's okay as long as it it makes me feel good sexually and blah, 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 blah. And that's why a lot of people are moving into all these things with experimentation. 
God knows everything, but I think sometimes he's up in heaven just scratching his head, just going, wow, you guys are totally off the rails. I never would even come up. You're creative. You're creative because you've come up with things I never would have envisioned. But he would have thought about it because he's God. He would have thought we would have gone that crazy. So sex is the act that God gave us, which is a gift. It is pleasurable. It is all those things. But was to multiply the earth. Not solely for that, but that's a big part of it. Number five, children have a right to a a mother and father, despite what some of the TV shows will tell you. And every person on the planet can track themselves to a father or mother. You may not know your father and your mother, but so far, scientifically, there is no other way to create a baby without having a father and a mother. And if we ever create a way to do that, I will be ready to go to heaven and be with Jesus, because we will have crossed into a platform that I do not want to be here any longer. And I doubt that will happen. Number six, number six, and this one may scare you a little bit, but I'll throw it out there. Same-sex attraction is not a sin. For us to be human, any of us, and to be sinful... We have a disordered sexuality. I'm a man. My wife is a woman. As much as I try to love her in purity the way God would have me to do it, even a man and a woman, you don't have to nod or say amen, but I mess it up all the time. Because I'm a sinner. You mess it up, I mess it up, everybody messes up. So same-sex attraction is not a sin. But to act on it is a sin. All of us have things, as we talked about even this morning, that pull us away from God's perfect plan and picture for us. And again, tonight our spotlight happens to be on homosexuality. It's not on verbal abuse. It's not on domestic abuse. It's not on pornography. It's not on blah, blah, blah. This happens to be on homosexuality tonight. But because I'm a sinner, there are the temptations of the world and the temptations of the enemy, because temptation is universal. Matter of fact, Hebrews, again, Hebrews chapter 4, I think it is, tells us that Jesus was tempted in every single way as we are. That, that blows my mind. But then, without sin, he did not sin. So when we sin, we give in to that desire. And there are many people who, again, like my cousin, who are... Same sex attracted and have chosen, I am letting go and I'm going to do what feels good to me and I'm going to go that route. And there are some people, maybe even in this room, I don't know, that are same sex attracted and every day they say no, no, no. I was talking to a friend of mine this week who struggled with pornography for years, for years. And he eventually overcame it. You know, you know the way he overcame it? By saying no, 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 no. So same tra- sex attraction is not the sin. Following into that action is a sin. Number next, whatever number we're on. Sexual intimacy is not a right. In our world today, you're hearing everybody say, well, that's my right, that's my right, this is my right. 
Voting is my right. Free health care is my right. This is my right. All this stuff is my right. It's my right. Sexual intimacy is not a right. It's a gift from God, the creator of the universe. One more. And this is a big one. And this is maybe a great spot to land. And this is what I would hope that we as a church do. One of the things that we should do. People are more than their sexuality. What fires me up more than anything we've talked about tonight about this whole movement is they're putting the spotlight on, even though we think it's incorrect and the Bible says it's incorrect, their choice of living in that behavior, they're putting the spotlight on that's where they find their identity. And people are more than their sexuality. To identify people, what I would say to somebody who wants to be identified as LGBTQ, whatever letter they want to be identified as, I would say to you, you have just lowered yourself. Because you are more than your sexuality. I am more than my sexuality. My uh, inherent value is rooted not in my sexuality, but in my identity, which comes from Jesus, comes from God, because He's the one that created me. So does God love homosexuals? If he loves you, he does, because he loves everybody. We have a saying in the South. You've probably heard it in the Baptist church. Love the person and hate the sin. That sounds so really good. You can take that saying and you can spread it out around a flower bed and probably grow some really good flowers. Because we have not done that very well in the church. We say we love the person and we hate the sin. But somehow in our humanity, maybe there's an excuse or an explanation. We have ostracized them. Because here's what I believe. And I'm naive and you guys know this by now. I'm naive. I just happen to believe the Bible is true and what God says will happen will happen. Because I just... I don't have any other options except to go all in and believe what he says. But I believe if somebody truly experiences the genuine love of God through the power of the Holy Spirit, and also, here's the other key that the Bible teaches us, and also from a community of faith, when they truly experience the love of God, the genuine, non-judgmental love of God, I believe the love of God will change that person. And they'll find their identity in Him. So real quick, I know we're over time, real quick. How should our church respond? And hopefully you'll agree with me and not say it's time to put a pastor search committee together. But here's what I think. Number one, our church should be a friend to the LGBTQ, whatever, community. I don't know what we can do. We haven't talked about this as a staff or any of our leadership, but... If you, if you allow us in the next year, this is on my radar, by the way. I, I don't know what we would do that would say to them, you're welcome. I don't know if it would be an event. I don't know what it would be outside of just normal love that we have for each other that they want. But our church should be a friend to that community. It doesn't mean we don't tell them what God says. It doesn't mean we sweep the truth under the carpet. It doesn't mean we sugarcoat it or make them feel all nice, warm fuzzies. 
I think a lot of times we, we do tell people the truth, but it's what we do after we tell them the truth that actually counts. We tell them the truth and then we cast them aside as worthless. I wouldn't value that kind of truth too much. Jesus was a friend of sinners, so I wrote down this question. As you guys know, I write myself questions. Are we drawing this community close to God? Do we see them primarily as gay or lesbian, or do we see them as made in the image of God? See, the world says that sexuality is the height of who we are. That's not what God's Word teaches us. And what I'm having to learn, real quick, if, you, if you'll just bear with me, I know we're over time. There's a young guy who just came to my mind when I served it in Union as a youth pastor. He was at another church and he would come over, about 16, he would come over and lead worship for us occasionally. The Lord called him, I truly believe, into the ministry. He was, oh my gosh, super sick, talented, guitar, keyboard, piano, vocalist. He went to a college, and I think he shared with somebody, I think he shared with somebody in a Bible study what he was struggling with. And it was the same-sex attraction. Thank you. It was a same-sex attraction. And much like in the church, I went to a Christian school, so I know how it works. Baptist school. Word got out, and he was taking off all the teams. And I'm not saying he should have remained a leader, but he was just ostracized. Now, that's a real good reaction, isn't it? Somebody who's struggling with one of the most... Intense struggles and trying to find the truth and to find meaning. And for the church just to say, have fun, get your act together. So number two, here's what I hope will be our reaction as a church. And I've got three more and we're done. First one is that we'll reach out to that community. The second one is that our church will not stigmatize sexual sin. If you study, and I encourage you to study this. We don't have time to talk about it tonight. But if you study Matthew chapter 7... It's that great passage of Scripture where Jesus talks about before you judge someone, look at your own speck in your own eye. And there's a group of people, and this group is maybe one of them, who has often said to us, you need to be tolerant. The Bible says don't judge. The Bible does not say don't judge. Some of you didn't know that. The Bible just says the way you judge, you will be measured in the same way. As a matter of fact, Jesus in that passage, he actually assumes, if you, if you read the passage, Jesus assumes that we all have a speck in our eye. He doesn't assume that there's nobody speckless. So when we speak to people, we need to speak with a deep humility. Think about the woman at the well that Jesus talked to and he found out, that the person she was living with, he said, go home to your husband or how many husbands? And she says, well, I have five husbands and the guy that I'm with now, John chapter 4, read it. The guy that I'm with now is not my husband. Jesus doesn't start bashing her about, well, you're just sleeping around. What's your problem? He doesn't do that. He says, if you knew who it was standing in front of you, you would ask for the living water because apparently you've been trying to fill your spiritual well with sex with a bunch of guys. 
So our church will not stigmatize sexual sin. Number three, our church will start with repentance. Again, I just wrote this down for me. Hmm. Perhaps if we modeled true biblical sexuality in marriage and love, the world would want it. Number four, our church will not be silenced. We need to share the truth. And here's part of the truth. Nobody goes to hell for being a homosexual. We go to hell for rejecting God's plan A for us. And that applies to every sin. Number five, our church will give time for people to grow. We may have people, and I hope we do, come into this church who are struggling with that lifestyle, maybe even in the middle of that lifestyle. I hope our church will say, come on in. Because it's the love of Jesus that will lead them to repentance. We all struggle with sin. If we didn't, we would think we need grace. I think that's why God allows a little bit of the struggle. So we'll be reminded about our need for grace. Number six, our church will point people to Jesus to deal with their sexual sin. And here's, again, I wrote this for me. May the gospel always be the center of our message, not sexual ethics. Because the gospel is the springboard for sexual ethics. Because we can all pick our little favorite pet sin that we want to talk about. But without the truth of the gospel, it's not going to make a difference. So does God love homosexuals? Yes, he loves sinners. He's a friend of sinners. And here's a last quote, and we'll pray. I heard from uh, J.D. Greer. He's a friend. He's the president of the Southern Baptist Convention. A lot of what he says I, I reflect on. I'm not necessarily saying I, I'm not equating him with this. But I think what people are looking for in our world is love and acceptance. As I was reading this week, here's what he said. God's acceptance is the power that liberates us from sin. Not the reward for having liberated ourselves. Let me say that again, because I think sometimes we think, I've got my act together. I'm doing pretty good, God. And because I am, you accept me. Mm -mm. God's acceptance, knowing about his acceptance, his love, his death on the cross that made us acceptable to God. God's acceptance is the power that liberates us from sin, not the reward for having liberated ourselves. So, does God love homosexuals? Yes, He does. How are they going to know? Well, you and I are going to have to show them. Not just tell them, but show them. I regret when my cousin was going through his teenage years in the early 20s, we weren't that close. Or maybe, I don't know. Easy to second guess, isn't it? There's a world out there that needs to know the truth. The truth is God's not mad at them. The truth is God doesn't hate them. 
Doesn't like their behavior. Doesn't like their lifestyle, their choice. But similarly, he doesn't like a lot of the choices that I make sometimes. But he still loves me. And he accepts me. Let's pray. As we're praying tonight, I'm not sure how we need to wrap up. Maybe you, like me, have some people who are in this lifestyle, maybe struggling. And there's no wonder. Is there any wonder why people struggle when all the stuff the world is trying to sell us? It's totally contrary to God's word, but we're being bombarded by it everywhere. For some of us, there's a name of a person, maybe even a dear person comes to your mind tonight if so you might just want to pray for them right now in the quietness of this moment you may even want to grab a friend and ask them to pray with you for this person only God alone can change the human heart Give you just a few minutes to pray right there where you are.